Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for anyone interested in retooling what education is. Today on the show, we are going to be discussing mainstream schools and what before school and after school care looks like, and of all things, the journey to school. To accompany me on today's journey, I have Brendan O'Leary. How are you, Brendan? I'm not too bad, Rob. And yourself? Can't complain. Aye. If I did, who would listen? So, we've been digging deep. Some might say far too deep, (laughs) going into the minutiae of these things. But for anyone who's new to us, just go back to our 50th episode. This will all make sense. For those of you who have been along for this ride so far, we've been looking essentially at three different kinds of school. And we're essentially boiling down that any school, in terms of its development and who it wants to be, more or less fits into one of these three kinds of school, traditional, mainstream, or progressive. And we're diving into the details, the differences between these three to help you as an educator, help you as a school leader, help you as a parent, or as a student to identify which of these three contexts you are in, um, to be more strategic in terms of what you do there. So today, it might seem bizarre that there would be even any difference between those three in terms of before and after school care or even just getting to school. But over the course of about 90 minutes of preparing for this, Brennan and I realized there's actually quite a few subtle differences. And, and in large today, we're going to be looking at Belgium, Canada, the UK, and a bit of Japan possibly in terms of comparing what we might see in these mainstream schools. I think the one thing I took away from our discussion was how unclear this area is. Some areas of, of the traditional mainstream progressive are very, it's very easy to tell them apart, especially when you get into things like assessment. It's very clear which area you're coming from. These kind of like things that fall between the, between the cracks that everybody has to do, everybody has to get to school and uh, start the day. The, in, in many ways, these are um, kind of mash up all the three types of schools depending on just kind of what's in the ether because these are not planned. These are just things that kind of stem from a necessity. So I guess we'll try and dig into a little bit of what the mainstream school might do in terms of before and after school care and try and prize those apart from how the traditional and progressive schools might approach it. Yeah, and it does get a little bit muddy because we've noticed that even when looking at mainstream schools in different countries, different countries have different takes on this as well. But we're kind of saying that the differences we're going to discuss today in these different countries, by and large, these differences kind of reveal a similar pattern. So let's start by discussing before and after school care. And I think we'll kind of look at Belgium, Canada, Germany, and uh, possibly the UK as well here. So what you will see in some of these places is that there is before or after school care explicitly offered. And in some of them, there's not really before or after school care explicitly offered, but there's kind of, perhaps you might say like, not necessarily accidental, but unintentional before or after school care provided. So Brennan, do you want to start us off? Just, I think the, the notion of providing an, an explicit before school and after school, what we call wraparound care in, in Britain, is relatively recent. And it, it came out of 
I guess mostly from the fact that a lot of families these days have two working parents. And so that's embedded heavily in the idea of mainstream school and its connections to our current kind of global capitalist kind of mindset. School wants to support families to free up that time so that they can, so that both parents can work. So one of the things you'll find in Britain is that maybe from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., the school provides this kind of wraparound care, which might give the students a few snacks. They might have a couple of members and staff on there to give them some basic activities. They might set up some outdoor play areas and some board games and some crafts and things like that. They're often not free, but they're relatively cheap, a couple of pounds per day, per child. But sometimes they can get really quite expensive. And if if you have to go to these private kind of after school kind of clubs that are provided as well in England, those can get really, really expensive. I know we put our kids in there when we were back in England a couple of times. And yeah, it can rack up hundreds of hundreds of pounds a week in just getting someone to to look after your eight year old for a few hours. so I know you've mentioned here the garderie in Belgium. Garderie. Garderie. Yeah, the garderie in Belgium. It's the kind of approach to before after school care here. It's sort of just the idea that for about 20 or 30 minutes before the school day starts, there's usually one staff member, a teacher standing out on the playground or in the gym or something like that. And basically that kids kind of file in as they arrive at school and similar at the end of the day it's not expected that like everyone's out of here at an exact minute and the building's empty again same thing for about 20 30 minutes after school there'll be someone on staff who's kind of seeing the kids off as they leave and again i think this by and large is to support those working parents but that's actually quite a small window compared to say what's offered in britain Um, but what you do see here in belgium in terms of clubs and all that on Wednesday afternoon, school gets out early here. So most days, school goes roughly till 3.30, 4 o'clock here. On Wednesdays, most schools are done between 12 and 1 o'clock. And what happens here is, um, you know, some parents' workplaces will also let off early on a Wednesday. But what typically happens here is that the commune, so like the local municipality, will actually offer subsidized clubs to compensate for what the school doesn't provide. So most schools will not provide afternoon programming on Wednesdays. Some do, but what's far more common is that the actual local municipal government, who are also in charge of schools here in Belgium, they will offer subsidized clubs to compensate for what the school doesn't provide. So that's where the kids will go, maybe do a higher level of sports, some music, some drama, Something that the school itself doesn't offer, maybe even as a subject, but it can be made up for when in your Wednesday afternoon club. And that's really part of the culture here. Yeah. And I think, again, it's a different way to approach that same issue that we now, unlike when the traditional schools were up and running and in their heyday 75, 100 years ago, the actual issue back then, as we've talked about, was that families needed the kids to work. To support, And then over the course of the 20th century, kids came into school, no longer were legally allowed to work. And then, of course, double income families became more necessary. And we flipped to the other side where now schools have to provide these some answer 
to the community's issue of, of needing someone to look after kids, but uh, the world doesn't seem like it's moving too far away from that anytime soon. So I imagine this is going to continue to expand. And yeah, in Britain, especially that pull between, of course, we could just provide this privately, but that gets really, really expensive. So can, especially in lower socioeconomic areas, can we provide this for the school? And my, my mom, who was a classroom assistant, she would do this three or four times a week. She would have to go in early or stay late to run these kind of clubs. Now, I know in Germany, where especially elementary schools finish around lunchtime, they offer a thing called Hort. Um, now, we both experienced this, but I know you, your current school also still runs Hort. Um, would you like to give us a little bit of a rundown of what that involves? Because parents in Germany absolutely loved this idea. And it is a really cool idea for extending school beyond the actual time of the school day. Yeah, so it's actually quite similar to what I was describing in Belgium with the Wednesday afternoon clubs. The difference is in Germany, every day, at least in primary school, school's done at roughly one o'clock or so. And then, yeah, for working parents who are at work, the kids need to be somewhere. So obviously the the schools have kind of found their niche where they will offer after-school programs, after-school care, um, but typically these are paid for, similar to what you described as either subsidized or private in Britain. And again, similar to the Belgium idea, it's kind of making up for the subject areas that can't be taught in that relatively small window of time of usually 8 to 12.30 or 9 to 1 o'clock in a German state school. And the idea is sort of like, well, in the afternoon, that's when you actually relax. You know, even in many German state schools, kids might only get a 15-minute break and a 20-minute break and no even like lunch break at most schools. So the idea is that your afternoon, after you've had this condensed, concentrated time of school in the morning, in the afternoons, this is where you go off and do your music clubs, your sports, all this sort of stuff, because you most likely didn't have music lessons in the morning or much of a sports lesson in the morning. That's all compensated in the afternoons for Hort. And it's not just the creative things. There can certainly be science clubs. There can be, you know, game clubs, all these all of these different kinds of things. And this led me to thinking about my experience in Ontario, both as a student and a teacher, because yeah, the closest thing I could think of was like, well, we would have some after-school clubs, like a basketball team, soccer club, you know, track club, and then often a musical band. But I couldn't actually think of any true before-school, after-school things. So I actually had to do some digging into it because maybe having grown up in the middle of nowhere, maybe this is far more common in a more urban area and in my rural area we just didn't see it but from what i found yeah in ontario you might find it in a city but typically it's really expensive and i thought this was a very interesting pragmatic and sort of money-based solution uh, i think the official website said depending on whether or not program costs can be recovered through parent fees school boards working with the local partners will determine whether a before and after school program will be available. So essentially, at least in Ontario in Canada, if you are to see before and after school care, it's just straight up because the school board is making money off of it. And from what I could find, no other valid no other reason would be valid for a school board to offer before or after school care. 
And hence, it just doesn't happen. I think that really sets out the the kind of push and pull between the traditional and mainstream mindset at a governmental level or at a higher level than we normally talk about. Because these these decisions are made uh, across school boards, provinces, whole countries. And it's like, you can, you can almost imagine the discussions are going on of like, well, we need to provide a way for people who have kids between the age of 5 and 10, 11, a way to allow them to work and not be taking 25% of their of their wages so that their kids can be looked after. And I think the traditional mindset, you may have heard this argument, would say, well, they can stay with family, they can stay with friends. There's other places they can go. We used to have a term called latchkey kid in Britain, which was kids who, they would just leave school and they would just be on their own for like several hours. And, um, you know, they would leave the, the door on the latch so the kids could just come and go. And, and in Japan, actually, it's still really common culturally. It's absolutely okay for kids maybe seven, eight and older to be to, to come home by themselves and to spend in, in the holidays when parents are generally working, to be in the house for longer periods. And they're taken care of. There's family and neighbors around. And that's a more of traditional mindset. I think the built into the mainstream mindset is this need to plan and think about contingencies a, a lot more. And so I think... There is this concern, and there's a growing concern, and we hear this argument a lot about leaving kids by themselves and so on. And we haven't gone into this too much, but I, I think that's underlying part of this decision to be like, hey, why can't, well, you need to work. Why can't the kids just go home for them by themselves for a few hours? You know, you'll have neighbors around and friends and older siblings. And first off, that's often not true in cities. And uh, second off, I don't think that sits as well with the mainstream kind of mindset this opportunity mindset as it does with more traditional. And so you can see within the Ontario kind of discussion, the push and pull between we should offer something. Yes, but it's going to cost us money. Yes, but it's really good for the community and for the families. Yeah, but we got to make sure that it doesn't uh, deter and, and take away from our education budget and so on. So I think that's a little bit of a microcosm maybe of that discussion. So if we look towards what are the positives the babies and the negatives, the bathwater of this mainstream approach to before and after school care. We've discussed this a few times now. One of the definite benefits is the convenience for families, the ability to free up parents to possibly be able to work more, earn more for the well-being of their family. And, you know, for a relatively cheap, often subsidized cost, your kids can be looked after while you're at work. And you know, this is pretty good benefit, I would say, for families overall. Now, of course, we'll look at one of the downsides in a moment, which you can argue that loss of family time, that sacrificing for the job also brings consequences with it for sure. But, you know, if this is if this gives the kids some time to do something to be active or creative in a way that they wouldn't be able to at home anyways, I think that's fantastic. You know, it also gives us a chance to really see um, like a different culture within the school for the kids themselves. So, you know, you're in your lessons from eight or nine till whenever. Well, that's got a very different focus, very different intention compared to that afternoon time when you're there more for leisure or in some cases even just straight up free time where you get to call the shots and, and have some choice in your day and, you know, be able to develop some different relationships 
with some of your peers, people outside of your class, and, you know, even staff. You know, there's definitely, for myself, I can say that there's definitely just a different nature to the relationship when you've got a student in class with learning objectives and aims and all these sorts of things, and totally different when you're outside for half an hour during free play time and they want you to come do hopscotch with them or something like that. Like, I think that's cool. One point that you and I really clearly reflected on multiple times last spring when the first lockdowns began was just how clear it was through the COVID epidemic that we really rely on school as child care. Would you like to add anything to that from what you've seen or noticed around you? Only that it's really a hidden fact. Everybody realistically, anyone who's got kids under the age of 12 knows that school, for all of its good in terms of education and all of its socialization elements, it allows us to have that time to go to work. It allows us to have families that have two incomes. And that's huge. It doesn't really get spoken about very much. But if suddenly the schools were all at home, all the time, and that became the new normal, that would absolutely devastate <laughs> the ability of most families to operate and, and has. And this has been a, a massively stressful time for so many families who've had to find ways to be able to look after their kids. And yeah, I think maybe we can acknowledge that a little bit more as schools start to go back in more. Hopefully we're seeing the the end of the of the COVID um time fingers crossed and as we do maybe we walk away from this with one of the lessons that we can take is that one of the things we can really appreciate is having the ability to send our kids out for six or seven hours a day five days a week 180 plus days a year is absolutely crucial to our how we currently live our lives how families currently operate and uh shouldn't shouldn't be ignored as a real impact that the mainstream mainstream opportunity value mindset has brought into the world over the last 50 60 years and then if we look at some of those drawbacks as i alluded to earlier that loss of family time of course there is a balance here there's a polarity of you know to what degree is it good that the parents are freed up to pursue their work and you know to what degree is there benefit in ensuring that you are there for your kids during certain times throughout the day. Now, that loss of family time comes at like sacrificing that time for your job, which is time you're away from your family. And of course, everyone has to make those kinds of decisions for themselves. But you know, in the extreme cases I have seen and know examples where a kid's there even before the before school care starts and they're there well into the day and we're talking like 10 to 12 hours later. So kid rocks up at school just before seven and is leaving the school at 6, 6.37 in the afternoon. They've had lessons, you know, maybe from 8 till 1 or 9 till 3 or something like that. And then they're in the after-school clubs. The after-school clubs finish, and then they're still there for the kind of like after-school after care, where it's maybe just more kind of supervised free time. And, you know, a kid, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, spending 10 to 12 hours of their day in that building with a rotating cast of characters around them not having their parents, there are certainly pros to that. But of course, there are consequences and drawbacks of that as well. And I think if you're looking from a traditional mindset, as we said earlier, that, you know, send them 
Can you find a, a family member or a friend they can stay with? I think they would see this as a real drawback. No matter how much you presented all of the opportunities that they had and how much fun and interaction with others, at some point there's a line. And I think once you get up to 8, 10, 12 hours, I think that wouldn't go down well in the traditional school. And I think a progressive school would see it very differently. They would look at at how much there was an integrated community going on around that time and whether the student was actually gaining by spending a lot of time around a certain group of people. But still, I think um, I think most people would draw a line in the sand well before 12 hours a day. But that's not said with the judgment because we have we all have to go to work and we have to find our way through this. And if you do, and I found myself several times working really long hours and if that's where you're at we uh, empathize with that and uh, know that a parent probably uh, I'd known very few parents that would think this was a positive situation so I I guess it would be a short-term solution for for most so some progressive school criticisms of this where student voice student choice student autonomy come into this One of the criticisms is, as great as the programs might be, and of course, maybe the kid got to pick which programs from, you know, the school's catalog that they wanted to do. At the end of the day, the student doesn't have choice about when to attend. So often this kid is being placed there for reasons that, you know, matter to the parents. And, you know, at the end of the day, as cool as some of the clubs might be, as cool as some of the environments or cultures in these places might be, It isn't your own environment. It's not your room. It's not your things. It's not your stuff. You don't get the choice of who you want to be with. You're not setting up your own play dates within that after-school care. Of course, there is some free choice of who you spend your time with or not when hanging out on the playground afterwards. But at the end of the day, it is really for the benefit of the parents first and the child second. And that's not to say the kid can't have a great time and it'd be great, but there typically tends to be less individual child autonomy within a lot of these programs. It's more, hey, here's what you're doing from three till five, and then your parents will come get you after this. Yeah. So if we move on to one here that, you know, this is the minutiae of the minutiae now, and this kind of just popped up through our conversations and... I think this is really one that falls between the cracks and um, I'm not sure if anyone's given this much thought before. And because of that, it's really, as we talk about it, I'll be interested to see what comes out of this conversation because we struggle to see how this manifested in the different uh, types of school. So what I'm talking about here is the journey to school itself, including the parents' role When we look to the traditional school, we we basically said parents generally would bring their kids along to school and they would stand at the school gates and they would kind of chat. So how might the journey to the school and the parents' role in that, what might that look like in a mainstream school, Rob? So if we look at Canada and Belgium, places I've had lived experience in with both, we see dramatically different experiences here. So Canada um, heavily relies on buses. It's hilarious when my European friends visit Canada because they want to take pictures of yellow school buses because they seem like something completely alien and from Hollywood movies. 
So in Canada, Ontario specifically, and especially in the very rural area where I grew up in, busing is a huge part of how kids get to school. And essentially, the majority of kids are on a school bus. You're getting bussed unless you're within a very specific walking radius of the school. Even the town I grew up in, which was like 8,000 people, fairly small, had three public schools scattered throughout the town, and there would still be school buses, you know, going through different neighborhoods, picking up kids to get them to the school within what here in Belgium would be considered extremely small. And of course, you would be walking to school. There'd be no, no question that, you know, there'd be no reason for a bus. So basically, if your parents were dropping off at school, it means you missed the bus. It's almost a little bit of like a social shame of like, oh, you guys missed the bus today. Your parents dropped you off. That's nearly unheard of unless you're within that walking distance and the parents dropped you off on their way to work or whatever. Um, parents go off to work. Kids get on the bus. Sometimes in businesses, I gave the example of sort of the, the huge factory in the town I lived in. People's hours, when I say people, I mean parents, adults' hours were actually organized around the school day. So you often wouldn't even start your shift until the bus came by for your kids and you get 15, 20 minutes, whatever, to get to work. That's how closely the relationship between school and parents' work ties in together here. It's not quite the latchkey thing that you were describing, but at least in the mornings, it wouldn't be uncommon for a parent to drop the kids off at someone else's house to get on the bus with them. But the idea of leaving your kids to get on the bus by themselves, I would say that's probably a no-go in most areas. And like I said, when we talk about like hidden before school care, at least in my experience, and I know this is similar for many more rural Canadian children, um, I was spending upwards of 35 to 45 minutes on the bus in the morning from the time I get picked up to the time I get dropped off at school. Now, there's a 15-minute car ride between myself and the school, but you know the bus has to go up this road and down this concession and all these kinds of things. That's not explicitly care that the school is offering, but that's 45 minutes in the morning and 45 minutes after school now, that's an hour and a half that my parents didn't have to worry about me because <laughs> I was on the bus going to and from school. In Belgium, I would say from what I've seen here, you're either walking, your parents are driving you, there's a private bus or some kind of taxi organized between several families. You wouldn't see anything from the school itself or the school board ensuring you get there. Otherwise, you just find the way to get there yourself. And I, I think that's where we do get into the distinction a little bit. So again, it's kind of a push-pull because how it actually manifests is less indicative of the of the mainstream or traditional or progressive mindset. It's more the thought process as to how it manifested. So it could be that the buzz uh, pays for itself and it allows parents to work. And so it's very much in line with the mainstream value but it could also be that the buzz just provides a community service in the same way that a traditional mindset might and I, I go back to we talked about in Japan the kids walk to school on these kind of like walking buzzes or walking trains that are arranged by the community in in conjunction with the school and so the big building across from me every morning at eight o'clock 
20 or 30 kids between grade 1 and grade 6 walk out in their uniforms led by the grade 6s, grade 1s at the back, and on their way to school, which is like a 10 minute walk, they have like two or three community crossing guards to help them. Um, and that's very much in line with that traditional community organised thing. And that might that, that potentially would disappear as the schools and as the country becomes more mainstream and everybody's going about their own business and wants the freedom. Because I think that would be criticised in Britain to say, well, I'm not always ready at eight o'clock when, you know. And, you know, of course, there's often a few kids struggling. But in, in Britain, I just know it's like there's there's no way we're all meeting at eight o'clock every single morning, like 20 of us. <laughs> it's like it's just not happening. We don't want it. It's not in line with our culture. And I think that more is more indicative of that mainstream independent opportunity value. But I got to say that system in Japan, it works really, really well. The kids are moving around and you see like on, on my way to, to my work, I see 10 of these different walking buzzes all going to different schools. And it's really, really well organized and very much in line with that community minded traditional mindset. Yeah, so I, I think... And now as, the, as our communities and cultures maybe in, in Britain and so on became more independently minded and more and more people owned cars and wanted to drop their kids off on the way to work and things like that, schools moved further away. Yeah, I guess we just saw more opportunities for getting to school in the way that you want to. But to be honest, we, we've never had that culture in Britain of everyone going together anyway. I just think it was um, left to the community now it's left to the parents it's kind of like this is one of the things in britain that i'm just not sure if this has changed in how it actually happens but i'm sure the underlying mindset has changed and along that journey to school we also see something that popped up largely for safety possibly even some liability reasons for the area which would be to have crossing guards who are typically community volunteers maybe retired people or something like that. You know, at least in the area I was from, it's quite often someone who used to work at the school who might be out volunteering to make sure everyone's getting to school safely and, and greeted. And as well with like, as schools are trying to become more cost effective, what we are seeing is that the new normal is larger schools, not smaller schools. And these bigger schools by their very nature mean that they can draw from a larger geographical region and therefore, that means that these bigger schools are further away from many people. And when you've got two working parents, there needs to be more access for cars. So like the actual city infrastructure needs to be taken into consideration of, hey, we've gone from having, you know, five schools of 200 kids to this one giant school of a thousand kids. How do we deal with the number of parents like getting their kids to school each morning? You know, it's somewhat funny sitting from my window here there's a high school just across the street from us and not only is it a high school but also has a primary school a kindergarten in it middle school the whole nine yards and i think it's 1500 to 2000 students somewhere in that ballpark i did look it up once and from about 7 30 to 8 15 in the morning here it's just a traffic jam on our street and it's not just our street it's the four streets in the area around here just completely packed and then it goes back to dead silent. <laughs> and then sure enough, afternoon, school starts getting out. It is just a traffic jam once again here. So it's actually something that like city planners need to take into consideration. Public transit needs to be taken into consideration. All this sort of stuff as schools get bigger and further away from people. 
Yeah, and I think that just shows that interconnected nature that becomes more and more apparent as we move into further into that opportunity mainstream value. I know you've said, you like to say this as you shake one tree in the forest, all of the others shake. Or when you move one branch, the entire forest shakes. As we see that happening more and more, yes, it becomes a concern for for the entire city. We see this all around, you know, we have the, the police actually stationed, like hidden close to some primary schools just to catch those parents who rock up late and they're parking their cars like illegally on those triple and quadruple yellow lines in front of the school. And it's kind of like the the whole thing um, has evolved as uh, as we've grown, as the schools have got bigger and as more and more people need access to cars and we're busier in the morning and so on. So I think this is one of those things that is inevitable. And um, maybe over the next 50 or 60 years, we'll see how the mainstream school kind of fixes this and what that might look like as we move into a progressive era, if such a thing ever happens. What are the benefits of this kind of, I guess, these many opportunities for getting to school? Yeah. So what I'd say again, it basically just comes down to meeting the needs of working parents. Your kids can get to school in a bus. Your kids can get there by public transit, or you can organize some kind of private bus, taxi, or other parent group to pick up your kids and get them there. They can get there safely with the community volunteers, all of these sorts of things. It's set up and, you know, in theory, these are all safe ways for the children to get to school. What about bathwaters to these approaches, Brennan? I think that we, having the kids in transit for a long time is definitely a, a drawback and that is uh, not so much related to the choices we make about getting to school, but the fact that our schools are just further away. This is another one of those examples of the of the unforeseen circumstances of our increase in technology and our increase in wanting to make our systems more efficient. We've talked about this a lot as we wanted to make in the mainstream the systems more efficient and effective. That's why the schools get bigger. That's why they get further away. And so the knock-on for every single parent is now you've got a little bit more of a headache of how to get your kids to school in the morning. You can't just leave the door open and say, off you go, um, give them a kiss on the head and they'll be in the school safely in two minutes. Now it's a 25-minute drive or whatever, which just makes everything way more complicated. I think the mainstream school would see this as generally something that in the long run works out better for everybody it's a little bit of a compromise yeah this is a bit further but you know this kind of um, economies of scale idea that as we make bigger schools we the teachers can be more effective we can use resources more effective so it's kind of a payoff i think the traditional school would not see that they would say no this is this is not an acceptable trade-off you've lost that ability for your kids to get safely to school and for you to to be a part of that and I'd add to that, you know, take my own example as being a child. When we talked about the like before and after school care earlier, I would have liked to have spent that 45 minutes in the morning and 45 minutes in the afternoon doing something other than sitting on a giant old yellow bus. That would have been great club time. That would have been great, you know, almost anything other than time where you had to sit down. You know, even just for highway safety rules, like it's not like you can like get up and walk around or do something. You have to be staying seated, often with a seatbelt on, um, in those giant buses. 
And as well, you know, just anecdotes from some different schools I've worked in. When, you know, you talk about this idea of schools being further and further away and, you know, possibly parents just not feasibly being able to get their kid there. There are certainly pros and cons to this. But, you know, I know kids as young as eight, nine years old who have 30 to 40 minute commutes on public transit alone. And that's within the letter of the law here. So that's cool. But, you know, you've got your eight year old with their pass and no guardian with them cruising around on subways, taking buses, all these kinds of things. On occasion, the kid gets on the wrong bus, kid gets on the wrong metro. And, you know, I've seen it. Kid rocks up to school two hours late and looking pretty freaked out from the morning that they've had. This doesn't necessarily mean that all things go smooth all the time with this. So certainly, like we've said, compromises, drawbacks, um, and all these things. At the same time, you could certainly make a case that that kid's building a lot of good independent skills that the other kids aren't getting. So certainly push and pull here. Thanks for the discussion, Rob. Was uh... Yeah, where are we taking this next, Brennan? Well, I'd just like to say that I am a fan of the minutia. There might be people out there listening and saying, really, really chaps, come on, 45 minutes on the journey to school and after school clubs. But I think you can dig into any of this and see how the three different mindsets, the mainstream, traditional and progressive, are embedded in almost everything we do. And it, it is, it's given us a little bit of opportunity. It's given me a chance to think about just how embedded it is in there isn't an aspect of school or education that you can prize apart from the mindset that underpins it and i think that's really the, the important thing i would take away from this for me it's sure these things by uh, themselves maybe don't warrant that much of an investigation of or but but believe me <laughs> any house that has kids in and uh, you're trying to get them to school on the morning this is not a minor issue but um but just Having been able to examine every little aspect and say, no, the, the traditional is baked into this. The mainstream mindset, the progressive mindset is baked into this. Because these are the bits where the cognitive dissonances pop up. You know, you have a really progressive school that actually acts like a totally traditional school in terms of its after school care or before school care and so on and vice versa. So, you know, the one thing we can take away is when you are looking at your own school, no matter what element you're looking at, you know, you can try and see where are we coming from? Do we value the opportunities that we're giving? Or do we value that kind of security that you might get in traditional schools? Or are we looking for that inclusion or that kind of empathy that you might find much more embedded in a progressive school? But next week, you ask, or next time, we're going to look at how kids move around inside the school and get to classes in the morning, the greetings, and then we're going to have a little bit of a look at uniform and dress code. Again, another little bit of minutia, but again, we find those three mindsets baked deeply into these uh, everyday comings and goings. Yeah, and two last thoughts on that. One, perhaps going into all these details, it's almost like a burden of proof for you and I for this tool of analysis of using these three kinds of school. Because it seems, like you said, no matter where we look, we can make a pretty strong case that these three mindsets are in operation in one way or another. And I had a discussion with someone this last week about these three types of school. And they were saying, well, like, can't you, you know, 
be one of them, but kind of draw from the others. And I was like, yeah, for sure. You know, you can be a mainstream school and, and pull things from traditional approaches and you can pull things from progressive, but realistically only if they're serving your goals and aims within your mainstream approach. You don't want it creating a tug of war where you start meandering to traditional progressive. And the way that we kind of thought of it through analogy was just like, you know, if you're engineering something or creating a blueprint for something, you want all of the pieces to fit together. Your before and after school care, your language program, your math approach, your discipline procedure in the school. How do you cultivate positive communities? And each of these three approaches to school has very different ideas about what that looks like. And if you're going to grab parts from somewhere else, you better make sure that it doesn't create friction within the system because you do want like a smooth running machine. So again, we know we're into the minutia here, but we think there's gold to be had by digging into it. If you'd like to get into some of that gold with us, forget Facebook. You can probably even forget Twitter at this point. What's most interesting is the number of people who are actually reaching out to us by email. And we're going to hear from many of those conversations in the coming weeks and months. So if these ideas are interesting to you, you've made it through 45 minutes of getting to school and after school clubs. Clearly there's something wrong with you or you're dedicated and into this idea. So reach out to us, reinventingeducationpodcast at gmail.com. Let's have a chat. Maybe we even turn it into an episode. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Brennan. 